0: For a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, things to remember about Peter. Could you say that with me this morning? Things to remember about Peter. Say it real loud this morning. Things, things to remember about Peter. How many remembers in February of 1988, Michael Jackson released a song called Man in the Mirror? How many got your groove on in 1988? <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't getting my groove on then. I was a, I was a baby. Uh, anyway... <laughs> But in 1988, uh, Michael Jackson released that song, Man in the Mirror, and I want to remind you of some of the words in that song this morning. And I quote, I'm staring with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. Now, that song does hold an element of truth to it. You know, now Michael Jackson is not a theologian. Okay, so don't take me wrong here. But he does hold some, this song does hold an element of truth to it. If you do want to make a change in your life, you have to take a hard look at yourself because change really does begin with you. But as Christians this morning, I believe that we need to look at it from a different perspective. Lasting change begins not with ourselves, but it begins with God. And that process starts when we begin to look at the Bible and we begin to see ourselves in the lens of Scripture. Because I believe the Scripture states that the Bible is the true mirror that we can look into. You remember what James said in James chapter 1 beginning with verse number 23 and I quote, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one is blessed in what he does." Do you see the comparison here, stating that the Word of God is the mirror, the perfect law of liberty, and that when you begin to look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word, you will begin to see the imperfections in your life so that you can appropriately change those imperfections. When I read the Bible and when I begin to study the Scriptures, I really do see myself in the Scriptures. Every time... I read the Bible, I really do see myself. When I read the characters of the Bible, I see myself in the pages of the Bible. And there's one particular person that I see myself in often, and his name is Peter this morning. I want you just to take a few moments, and I want you to reminisce about who Peter is. And what a significant man he was in the New Testament. He made a contribution to Christianity that's lasted for over 2,000 years. But I want you to look at the beginning of his life, and I want you to see the transformational change that happened in Peter's life. And if you look really hard, and if you look really close, you can see yourself in Peter's life. This Bible says that his original name is Simon. It was later changed by Jesus to Peter. The Bible also tells us that Peter was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. His three closest disciples was Peter, James, and John. Peter was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. The scripture tells us that he was a fisherman by trade. The Bible also gives us an indication that Peter grew into one of the most gifted preachers and leaders of the New Testament church. But also when you look at Peter's life, you will begin to see some flaws and imperfections in Peter's life. He wasn't always the great preacher of Pentecost. He wasn't always the great leader of the church. If you look closely in the pages of the New Testament, you will find that Peter had a lot of imperfections. He had a lot of weaknesses. And that is why my friends, I can relate to Peter. And maybe you can relate to Peter. I mean, if you would look really closely at Peter's life, you will find that Peter was a man of impulse. He always spoke his mind out. He always had trouble with his words. Peter was the man that always made rash decisions and quick decisions. He was the man that was emotional. He was a man that got angry very quickly. He was a man that spoke his mind and acted on impulse. He had trouble with his mouth. I mean, this man wasn't always the man of faith and power. This man wasn't always the gifted preacher of the church. He wasn't always the anointed and appointed apostle of the Lord. This man had weaknesses. This man had flaws. This man had imperfections. And my friends, that is why I can relate to Peter this morning. Maybe you can relate to Peter. Maybe you can look back on your life right now and you can see the things you struggle with and the things that, that uh, you, the weaknesses of your life and maybe you can relate to Peter this morning. And that's what we're going to do, we're going to look at Peter's life and we're going to learn some things about Peter's life that maybe it can be applicable to your life and help you on your spiritual journey. One of the things that I realized is that every time I read the Bible and everything I read about the Bible and every person that I read about. Somehow, some way, it brings comfort and encouragement to my life. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4? And I quote, he said these words, For whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of Scripture we might have hope. Did you hear what the Apostle Paul said? He said everything that was written was written for us. Yes. It was written that we could have hope and it was written that we could have patience and that we can have encouragement. So as we look at Peter's life, I don't want you to be discouraged this morning. I don't want you to feel like there's no hope. I want you to feel encouraged and I want you to realize that as you look at Peter's life that there really is hope beyond the scope of human limitations. That God really does use people who are messed up. How many would raise your hand and testify that God really does use people who are messed up? And if you feel like you're messed up this morning, then you are a prime candidate for God's presence. You are a prime candidate for what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do through your life. There are five things very quickly that you can learn about Peter's life. There are five things. There are five mistakes that Peter made in his life that I want you to see so that you don't repeat them. Somebody once said there are two things in your life that can help you and that is this mentors and mistakes. Say that with me this morning. Mentors and mistakes. Say it again. Mentors and mistakes. There are two things that will help you on your spiritual journey. A mentor somebody that can come alongside of you and help you in your spiritual growth and help you see the blind spots that you do not see. A mentor that will speak into your life. Number two, the mistakes of your life can be very helpful in your life. And that's what I want you to see. Peter can be a mentor this morning, but you also can learn from Peter's mistakes. And I want to see five things that you can learn from Peter's life. Number one, the very first thing that I want you to learn from Peter's life is this. Number one, don't focus in trying to prove your love for Jesus. Instead, focus on his love for you. Now that's a mouthful, and that sounds very simplistic at first. It sounds very simple at first, but that holds a lot of truth. You see, don't focus in trying to prove your love for Jesus. Instead, focus on his love for you. Now, I want to remind you of this because this is important. This is very applicable to your life right now because I find my doing this. I find myself trying to prove that I love God. If, if I fast so many times a week, if I give up this and do this, then I will love God. I remember when I was 13 years old and I was trying to develop a consistent prayer life and I was try, trying to develop a, a, a fasting prayer life. And uh, I remember I got up one morning and I said, you know, I'm going to fast all day, 24 four hours. No food, no water, no nothing. I'm going to give it all to Jesus. So I got up that morning and I went to school and I went to the bathroom during lunchtime to pray and I was praying and I felt really good. I felt spiritual. Everybody else is eating their pizza. Everybody else is eating their ding-dongs and I am spiritual. I have given up food for Jesus. So I went home and obviously I was living with my grandparents and I walked in the door and guess what my grandmother made? She made this huge chocolate cake flowing with creamy chocolate dripping down the sides of the pan. I'm not joking to you. It was dripping down the sides of the pan. And then my grandma said, baby, in about 30 minutes I'm making fried chicken just for you. What in the world? what no joke I'm not lying to you I was like oh Lord so I went and laid down and I slept for 30 minutes and she comes in knocks on the door she says I always just wanted to I just wanted to cook for you today well let let me just tell you church I didn't make it I didn't make it (laughs) I did not make it matter of fact I ate the chicken I ate the mashed potatoes I remember the meal I remember the hot rolls I ate three pieces of cake I mean of course you know I was 13 years old I was a growing boy so I used that as an excuse I felt really, really bad that I ate the cake. I feel bad that I ate it yesterday too, but we won't talk about that. I felt really bad that I ate the cake. I felt really bad that I ate the food. But as I grew in the Lord, I realized something. I don't have to try to prove my love for Jesus. I got rest in the fact that he already loves me. And the reason I go to church, the reason that I give, the reason that I fast is not to prove anything to the Lord, but I do it because he already loves me. And I quickly, I quickly understood something that there were many times in my life that I said I was going to fast. And I didn't do it. I mean, maybe I made it halfway or maybe I made it to the, you know, 15th day and didn't complete it. And I realized something, I really realized something, that I didn't sin against the Lord. I broke a commitment to myself, but I didn't sin against the Lord because no matter how much I try, no matter how much I try to live godly and do good things, I will never be able to do it within myself because I don't have enough power and ability in myself to love Jesus the way he needs to be loved. Don't focus in trying to prove your love for Jesus. Instead instead focus on his love for you. Get this. I want you to see the comparison of two disciples. I want you to see the comparison of St. John who is called the Beloved. It is kind of like Jesus' best friend. He was the only person that was there all the way to the very end all the way to the crucifixion and he is referred to in the scriptures as John the Beloved the person that Jesus loved the bible says in john chapter 13 and verse number 23 look at it now there there was leaning on jesus's bosom one of his disciples whom jesus loved do you see this this is the man that jesus loved this is the man that jesus loved now i want you to see the other comparison of another disciple named peter Look at his reaction. Look at his uh, attitude. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Do you see the two disciples here? Do you see the two attitudes? One person is called John the beloved. This is the man that Jesus loved, but yet Peter in the other passage is trying to prove his love to the Lord. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, Jesus. I will never stumble. If all the other disciples leave you, I will follow you all the way to the very end. You see, the difference is this. One of them rested in the fact that he was loved and the other one was proving that he loved him. Do you see the comparison of these disciples? One of them rested in the fact. He rested so much that he leaned his head against Jesus' chest. He realized he was loved and there was nothing that he could add to it. But Peter was defensive. Peter was rash. Peter was quick-tempered. He was the one that said, I will never be made to stumble. I will never deny you. I will be with you always, Jesus. It doesn't matter if they all leave you. I'm going to stay with you. Can't you see yourself in the life of Peter? Don't you see yourself in the life of Peter? Isn't there times in our life that we say, Lord, I'll serve you all the way to the very end? Lord, this year I'll give more than I've ever gave. This year I'll be faithful to church. This year I'll try to do right. This year I'll try to form new habits. And then you find yourself in the middle of the year disappointed. You find yourself in the middle of the year struggling with the same issues, struggling with the same problems, struggling with the same uh, circumstances over and over. You find yourself in functioning bondage. We find ourselves coming to the altar and we make declarations like Peter I will never leave him. I will always serve the Lord. I will do this. I will do that. We make promises. And sometimes my friends, we are just like Peter. Let me just liberate you today. Quit making promises. Quit trying to prove to everyone you love Jesus. Quit trying to prove to everyone you're so passionate. Quit trying to prove to everyone that you are spiritual. Let's just quit all of that. And let's all of us love the Lord because he loves us. Let's put our identity, not in our performance, Let's put our identity, not in how much we do for the Lord, but let's put our identity in the fact that he loves me. And I cannot add to his love, nor can I subtract from his love, because he loves me. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, I know he loves me? And there's nothing that you can do about the love of God. Mathematicians have tried to figure out the love of God. History has tried to define the love of God. Geography has tried to locate the depth of his love. Architects have tried to measure the height of his love and lay a foundation for his love. Electricians have tried to improve the light of his love. Enemies have tried to destroy his love. Voters have tried to vote out his love. Water has tried to drown out his love. Fire has trying to burn out his love. Snow has tried to cover up his love. Storms have tried to blow away his love. And death tried to kill his love 2,000 years ago. But today, we can be reassured that there's nothing I can do to make him love me any more or any less. He loves me because of what he did for me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 19, remember the words of John, we love him because he first loved us. You see, you are supposed to be the moon. He is the sun and the moon only reflects the light that's been given to it. You have no love in yourself you don't have the ability in yourself to do it. Let's reflect the sun. Let's reflect his love. When you focus on trying to prove your love for the Lord, like Peter, when you try to focus so much on your love and trying to prove your love, then your love will diminish. You will be frustrated. You'll be making empty promises. As a matter of fact, you'll be full of hype, and you won't develop habits. You'll be like the crowd on Palm Sunday who waved branches and cried, Hosanna. But at the end of the week, they cried, crucify him. Because that's just our nature. Trying to prove that we love him. We love him because he loved us first. What is the mistake that I can learn from Peter you can learn that you can't prove your love. you got to rest in the fact that he loves you. you got to be a John, the beloved. Don't be like Peter, defending yourself. I will never, I will never, I will never, I will never. I will always, I will always, I will always. Number two... One of the things you can learn about Peter this morning is, number two, you need to make sure that your passion always leads to compassion. I want you to think about this this morning. One of the things that you can learn about Peter is that your passion should lead to compassion. You know, again, Peter was a a person of impulse. Peter was angry. Peter made empty promises. Look, Look at this. The Bible says in John chapter 18, beginning with verse number 10, I want you to look at what Peter did here. The Bible says, and then Simon Peter, this is right before the crucifixion of Jesus. And here Peter is being enthusiastic about Jesus's kingdom. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, put away your sword Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Do you you see what's happening here, my folks? Do you see, my friends? Your passion should lead to compassion. I'm going to say that again. Your passion should lead to compassion. Your passion should lead to compassion. Peter's passion. Passion. Lord, I'm going to be with you to the end. Lord, I'm going to be with you all the way to the crucifixion. Lord, I want you to establish your kingdom. Lord, if anybody comes against you, I'll cut off their ear. He was very passionate. But he forgot that your passion should always lead to compassion Listen to this preacher this morning. If you love Jesus and you're passionate for Jesus and you really want to do something for Jesus, you got to make sure that your passion don't hurt other people. I've seen people who love Jesus deeply and I've seen people who are very faithful to church and so passionate for the Lord that what happens is we become critical of everybody that don't act like us and don't respond the way we think they should respond. We begin to hurt people. We begin to say things to people like, you don't love him because they don't act a certain way. Because maybe they're not exuberant as me or as you. Make sure that your passion for Jesus leads to compassion for other people. If you really love Jesus, then your love that's inside of you should bring compassion to other people. You don't need to prove your passion to anybody. You don't need to prove your passion to me or to this church or to anyone else. Your fruit should take care of the critics. Let your life speak for itself. You don't need to prove your passion. Your love and your passion is rooted in Jesus and not in performance. You remember the apostle Paul? His name was Saul before it was changed to Paul. And I find in the book of Acts, around Acts chapter 9, what was he doing? Saul was very passionate. Saul was very zealous. And what did Saul do? Saul took a sword and he killed the Christians, thinking that he was doing god a Favor until he had an experience on the road to Damascus and what did Jesus say Jesus said Saul why are you persecuting why are you doing this because you see my friend zeal without knowledge equals destruction it's good to be excited it's good to be passionate it's good to be on fire for the Lord just make sure you don't destroy people on the way Just make sure it brings passion. Just make sure it brings compassion to people. Listen, I'm a very aggressive person. I'm a red blue. You know, I'm aggressive. I like to get things done. I, I, I mean, I, and I get, fr- I, I, I'm always in this war. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I love people, but I want to get things done and I got to make sure that I say the appropriate things and make sure I don't come across wrong, even though that's not my heart. You see what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm red and blue and it's a struggle because I want people to love God. I want people to act compassion, passionate. I want people to get in the altars. I want people to get in and pray. I want people to read the Bible. You know, I'm very passionate. And one of my weaknesses is I got to make sure that it doesn't come across destructive in the meantime. Amen. Your passion should lead to compassion. Put the sword down. He took his sword out, cut the ear off the servant because he's passionate for Jesus. In modern day Christianity, we were like, man, thank you. It's good to have an armor bearer like you. It's good to have somebody on my team like you to cut people's ears off. Kind of makes you feel good that people's on your team and really ready to, you know, cut the ears off of, you know. But make sure your passion leads to compassion. Number three. One of the things I learned about Peter is you can't just focus on trying to prove you love Jesus. You got to rest in the fact that he loves you. Number two, your passion has to lead to compassion. And number three, if you don't pray, you will stray. And I know that sounds simple, but listen to my heart. Don't turn me off. I know you hear this word all the time, pray, 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 but there's something in this story that I think is revolutionary. I want you to see Peter's prayer life. I want you to see two scriptures, and then I'm going to tie them together and tell you something. Number one, I want you to see Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse number 31, and I quote. Look at, look at uh, uh, Peter's life here. And the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon. Now, this is his original name. Everybody shout original. This is his original name before Jesus changed his name. So I want you to pay attention to the verbiage here. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Do you see? Do you see what Peter's saying? Lord, I'm going to go with you. Verse number 33. I'm going to go with you all the way to prison. I'll go with you all. Doesn't that sound like us? Lord, I'll never leave you. Lord, I'll always be with you. But look at what Jesus said in verse 34. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, that the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you knew me. You see, he was so boastful. He was so proud. I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. And Jesus said, you're resting in your own ability that you love me. You can't do that. As a matter of fact, Peter, you'll deny me. Because the moment that you rest in your own love for me is the moment that you will fail. You've got to rest in your identity knowing that I love you in spite of what happens. Now, in the context, Jesus is in the garden with him, right? Right? In this scripture, because look at verse number 46, Luke 22:46, Jesus says to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray, at least we enter into temptation. So the context here, they're in the garden, Peter, James, and John, his three closest friends, they're sleeping in the garden, and Jesus just told Peter, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me. Simon, Simon, you're going to deny me. This very night, you're going to deny me. Now what's the point here? This is what's so revolutionary to me. If you don't pray, you will stray. I want you to notice that Peter was sleeping in the garden and the Lord referred to him to his old name. This is the only time that the Lord refers to Peter to his old name, Simon, Simon. Now what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying this, that when you don't pray, you will resurrect your old self. Can somebody just help this pastor wave your hand and say amen? When you don't pray, you will resurrect Simon instead of Peter. Because Simon means unstable, but Peter means a rock or a stone. And when you don't pray, you will go back to your old ways. You will go back to Simon. But when you begin to pray, you will be like a Peter, and you will be a rock, and you will be stable because you know you can't do anything to get his love. You know that he loves you in spite of everything else anytime you don't pray you will stray and some of you are hanging on by the rope and I got I don't got anything new to tell you it's because you're not praying you're not praying together as a family you're not binding the demonic forces of the enemy it is a spiritual warfare that you're involved in and if you don't pray your old self will resurrect itself On Wednesday nights we have about 30 people who are praying. Why do I keep pushing prayer? Because I refuse to let the church, let this church be a normal church. This church is going to be, I'm not doing anything to try to prove anything. I am coming as a result of his presence. I'm coming as a result, he loves me, and I'm coming to be in his presence because I know I don't want to go back to the old way. I don't want to go back to the old way, and if you don't pray, you will stray. I've pastored for 17 years, and there's hundreds of people that I've pastored that's in the world. Christians don't blow out, they leak out. You don't wake up one morning and say, I'm not going to serve God. It's just the little compromises. It's the little compromises. It's the little this and the little that. It's we leak out before we blow out. I was four years ago, I was, no, excuse me, about five or six years ago, I was coming home from Virginia on Christmas break seeing my aunt and uncle. I was driving down the road in the car and I was going through a hard time, stress. You know, I was pastoring a church, and I was just stressed with people, and I was overeating, and I was 80 pounds heavier than what I am right now, and I was just couldn't cope with stress and couldn't cope with anxiety, and I was just really, really stressed about five or six years ago, and, uh, and I wasn't praying like I should. I was just going through the rituals and routine. As I was going down the road, my back tire blew out. I pulled off to the side of the road, got out of the car, no joke, got out of the car, walked around to the back on the interstate, pulled off to the interstate, walked around to the back and saw my blown out tire. I got down to look at it and the Holy Spirit said to me, you're getting ready to blow out if you don't pray. You're getting ready to blow out on the highway of life if you don't pray. And I'm telling you that some of you is getting ready to blow out on the highway of life if you don't get back to prayer. If you don't consecrate yourself to prayer, you're going to resurrect your old self. You're going to resurrect Simon instead of Peter. If you don't pray, you will stray. Simon, 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 the devil wants to sift you as wheat. It's interesting to me that sometimes in prayer, we don't stay long enough. We stay just long enough to release our burdens. But do we stay long enough in prayer to receive his burden? Do we stay long enough in prayer to receive his burden? I know you've released your burden, but have you received his burden? He said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray. He didn't ask him to pray. He said, sit here while I pray because he ever liveth to make intercession for the church. You know why he said, sit there while I go pray? Because the Lord is saying, I want you to observe me. I want you to get my burden. Number four, following Jesus I want you to look at Peter's life. I'm almost done this morning. Following Jesus at a distance will cost you. So I I want you to see the story here about Peter. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verse 54, look at Peter's life here. The Bible says in Mark 14, verse 54, but Peter followed him at a distance. Do you see that word there? He followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat there with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. Peter was following the Lord at a distance. Now I want you to see the rest of the story. The Bible says in Mark 14, 66, now as Peter was below in the courtyard, and one of the servants' girl of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out onto the porch, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood there, this is one of them, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by him and said to him again, surely you're one of them, you're a Galilean, for your speech shows it. And then he began to curse. He began to swear. I do not know this man. I don't know who you're talking about. A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the words of Jesus that said to him, Before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Do you see? What can I learn about Peter? I'm telling you that if you're going to follow Jesus, if you follow him at a distance, it will cost you. If you don't follow him close, If you don't follow him close, you're going to get lost on the highway of life. Have you ever tried to follow someone on the highway and they're just speeding? I mean, they're just going real fast and you're going about 25 miles an hour and you lose them? Well, guess what? Jesus is on the go and you could either sit in the highway of life and get stuck or you can catch up with Jesus, but you can't just sit there, folks. You can't just sit there and wish things are going to happen. You've got to be an intentional about your discipleship. You've got to be intentional about following Jesus close because if you're not intentional, You're going to get run over in the highway of life. Let me just break it down. If you're not in this thing, then why are you? If you're not following him close, why are you in it? Why are you giving your half heartedness? Stay home. You can get more enjoyment out of the TV than coming to church if your heart is not in it. But I promise you, if you put your heart in it and you give it your all, I'm telling you, this life is not boring. Jesus said, up out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Don't waste your time. You say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with it. It's okay to struggle. It's all right. It's all right. As long as you struggle in the right direction. It's If you follow him at a distance, you know what will happen? You will warm yourself by the world. If you don't follow him close, you will warm yourself by the comfort of the world. If you don't follow him close... You will warm yourself by the comfort and the convenience of this world. And what happens when you do that? You will deny Him. But not only will you deny Him, you will do it over and over and over and over. I'm going to ask you a question. Listen to Pastor Josh. What are you doing? Or are you doing anything that disturbs your Christianity? Are you doing anything to disturb your comfort? Are you doing anything to disturb your Christianity? If you're going to follow Jesus, he said, You got to deny yourself, pick up the cross and follow him. Listen, church, if you're going to follow Jesus, then your life has to bear a mark. And you know what that mark is? It's called the mark of self-denial. It's the mark of cross-bearing. If you're going to follow him, you got to follow him all the way, but your life has to bear the mark of self-denial. History tells us that Peter was getting ready to die under Nero, the emperor. In Rome, they took Peter to a hill called the Vatican Hill. That's why, that's why the Vatican sits there, because they crucified Christians upside down, naming Peter. They took him to a hill called the Vatican Hill. Getting ready to crucify him. Peter said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord flip me upside down. They flipped Peter's body upside down on the cross and hung him on an upside down cross in a hill in Rome, which is now called the Vatican Hill. If you're going to follow him, your life has to bear the mark of self-denial. One of the greatest things that's happening in the nation today is teenage suicide. There is an answer for this. I am very sympathetic towards it. But the answer is this, don't take your life, deny your life. If you're going to follow me, Jesus said you've got to take up the cross. And It's not about self-preservation. It's about salvation. Let me tell you something. Your guilt and your regret and your remorse and your crying and saying everything you used to do in your past, listen, that's not going to change you. You can say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf this year. I'm going to do better this year. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm regretful for what I've done. Maybe your mind is tormented over your past, but don't let the devil deceive you today. Your guilt will not change you. Your remorse will not change you. Your tears will not change you. Turning over a new leave will not change you. The only thing that will change you this morning is when you get a revelation that there's nothing you can do to make Jesus love you anymore. He already loves you. He already accepts you. He already calls you beloved. You belong to him. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that the servant was cunning than all the other serpents Animals in the garden. The devil is manipulative. You can't do it better yourself. You see, Peter warmed himself by the fires of the world. I'm about to shout up and here, up and here, up and here. but Acts chapter two, another fire came. He wasn't warming himself, but now this time, the fire of the Holy Ghost came down on Acts chapter two, and it transformed Peter into a solid, stable rock of the church. I think I broke a sweat. Number five, your last point, your physical problem may have a spiritual root. See Peter failed. You know why Peter failed? he didn't realize his physical problem may have had a spiritual root. Luke 22 verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon indeed Satan has asked that he would sift you as wheat. In other words Simon, there is a spiritual problem here. Simon, it's more than physical, it's spiritual. Most of us don't even realize the significance of the spiritual world. The spiritual world is like a father. This earth is like a baby. The spiritual world has been in existence much longer than the physical world. And if we're not careful, we will deal with only the physical and not deal with the spiritual. We will fight and fuss. We will do this and that dealing with the physical and yet it just gets worse unless you realize there's a spiritual component behind the issue you will mow the grass and you will forget to pick the weeds you will clean out the cobwebs and forget there's a spider loose it's just not physical folks it's spiritual too I am not saying there's a devil behind every bush but what I am saying is that you must deal with things spiritually first then deal with it physical I'm reminded of the story of, of, of Balaam, Numbers chapter 22, verse 23. You remember Balaam, Balaam had a donkey, and look, look at the story. Now the donkey, Saul, Balaam's on this donkey. And the donkey didn't want to go any further. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, when he uh, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So what did Balaam do? Balaam struck the donkey. Now get this: he is on a donkey. They're going on a path. The donkey sees something spiritual. Balaam does not see it. The donkey sees it. And so guess what the donkey does? The donkey is doing this. He doesn't want to go forward, right? Why don't he want to go forward? The donkey saw an angel with a sword drawn. Balaam didn't see it. The donkey saw it. So guess what Balaam does? Balaam takes something. He takes a stick. And guess what he does? He beats the donkey. And God caused the donkey to open his mouth. Look at it verse 28, Numbers 22, verse 28, and the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said, what have I done? Can you see (laughs) this? It's like a cartoon. Dude, what have I done to you that you would strike me three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, now I know I read this and I'm like, you know, that would flip me out. Come come on, raise, somebody raise your hand. That would flip. You're talking about taking a nerve pill. I'd take about five of them right there. I mean, right there. My nerves would be shot right there. The donkey begins to speak. And what does the donkey say? So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey? And which you've ridden ever since I've become yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to you? He said, no. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. What's the point? That's what we do in life. We beat We beat our jobs, we beat our marriage, we beat our kids, we beat the church, we beat the pastor, we beat it, we beat it, we beat it. I don't know why you're not doing it right, I don't know why you said it, I don't know why you did it, we just beat it, because all we see is the physical. But I'm telling you, behind the physical, there is a spiritual world that exists. And if all you are doing is beating the things in your life, you will get nowhere. Why do I ask you to pray? Because I want you to stop beating it. I want you to come to the place and deal with it spiritually first. Why do I ask you to press through and worship? Because I realize it's just not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. You ever come to church and it feels tight? You ever come to church and you feel like something's off? And we think, well, it must be that. It must be the pa- It must be this. It must be that. No, it's none of that. There's something spiritual first that we must deal with before we deal with it physically. Should you deal with it physically? Yes, but let's deal with it spiritual first. You see, pastor, I don't believe you. This scripture is full of it. The book of Luke, the woman was bent over with a spirit of infirmity. Everybody in the synagogue thought she had a back problem, but Jesus said she has a demon problem. You remember the man that was mute and dumb? Everybody thought he had a speech problem. He didn't have a speech problem. Jesus said you got a demon problem. Judas had a stealing problem. He stuck his hand in the bag. And the Bible says he had a demon problem because Satan entered his heart. What about Ananias? Ananias lied to the apostle. Everybody thought he had a lying problem, but the apostle said you lied to the Holy Ghost because your heart is corrupt. You got to deal with it spiritually before you deal with it physically. And Peter failed to realize that the problem of his heart... The problem of his heart. I gotta prove, I gotta prove I love Jesus. I gotta prove I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll always be there, Jesus. I'll never stumble, Jesus. And he's always cussing, he's always impulsing, he's always saying things he shouldn't say, he's always regretful, he's always crying, he's always mirth, he's always remorseful, and Jesus says, Peter, there's something wrong with your heart. It's not about your empty promises and your strong declarations. you got to deal with it physically before you deal with it spiritually listen i love you you're the greatest church i'm a father spiritually you're the greatest church any man could pastor i say that with all sincerity i love you so much i pray for you honestly i walk around these seats and i lay hands on these seats Week after week, God is my witness. And I cry over these seeds. I'm not proving anything to you. I'm telling you. I love you. But my greatest passion for you is that you would be so devoted to Jesus that when I see you in heaven, I'll know that we made it together and that you won't stumble in the highway of life and get lost, but that you follow Jesus so closely that on judgment day we made it together. That we made it together. I want to I want to be with you. I want us to do it together because I love you. What can you learn? Hallelujah. Can you lift your hands and thank the Lord today? Hallelujah. Can somebody praise the Lord today? Hallelujah. What can I learn today, Pastor? Stop trying to focus and prove your love for Jesus. Instead of his love for you, number one. Number one, quit trying to prove your love for the Lord. Number two, make sure your passion leads to compassion. Number three, if you don't pray, you will stray. Number four, following Jesus at a distance, it will cost you. Number five, your physical problem may have a spiritual root. Hallelujah.